All right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Why don't we uh, pray and get into today's lesson? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you've blessed us uh, with a, a warm church that we're able to come and gather and, and warm people that love you and just uh, want to learn about you, get to know you. Thank you, Lord, that you saved us. Pray for anyone here. Uh, uh, that the study would be a blessing to them, that they will fall more in love with you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a beautiful thing that we get to know God. We know He exists. We have a relationship with Him. And we have His Word. We have the Bible. 66 letters. We have so many Bible verses. Maybe you memorized and really just speak to you. And... It's a beautiful thing that we want to study who our God is, and we have the resources for it, right? The Word of God. And so the more we study who God is, the more we will be able to properly worship Him. And so I really want us to meditate on all these attributes that we're going to look into. I think it's about 14 we're going to look into today. Um, and next week we've got a couple more. And, and I want us to grow in our love for God. He is so great, and He is worthy of our time and, and diving into Scripture. And so we're going to discuss the character of God, or the communicable attributes of God. You remember last week, the incommunicable attributes, right? Those attributes that God does not share entirely with His people. And then today, we're talking about those that He does share uh, with His people. And so we're going to answer the question, how is God like us in His being and in mental and moral attributes. So we're going to look at those three key points. That's really the overview for today. Attributes describing God's being, spirituality, invisibility. Mental attributes, which are knowledge, wisdom, and truthfulness. And then we're going to look at the moral attributes of goodness, love, mercy, holiness, peace, righteousness, jealousy, and wrath. So plenty of attributes of God, and we'll go slow with each one, but we really want to let it sink in. We really want it uh, to, like I said, Make us fall in love with God yet again. Alrighty. So we're going to start uh, with spirituality. And on your hands out, there's a lot of verses there. We're not going to read them all. But just keep that in mind. Um, when you go home this week, you have plenty of homework, right? You have a lot of verses that you can look up and, and just meditate more on. So like I said, this is more just like an appetizer, just a taste. Uh, and so we won't go through every scripture, so... Right off the bat, I just want to let you know that. So we'll start with the first one, God's spirituality. What does that mean? That God exists as a being that is not made of matter. Now, this is interesting. Uh, we know uh, other religions teach, uh, like Mormonism, uh, that God has a body, right? That he used to be a human, and now he has his own planet and all these different things, and he's the God of uh, the universe, and one day you can become a God. Well, we don't believe in that. What Scripture teaches is what? That God is spirit. God is spirit. Where do we see that? Uh, you could turn to John chapter 4, verse 24. In the context there, uh, Jesus talking to a woman at the well, a Samaritan. And, and what's going on here? He's explaining uh, where true worshipers worship. And, you know... Um, the Samaritans, they believe you worship in a certain mountain, and the Jews believe you worship in a certain mountain. But no, what does Jesus say? John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. 
Now, another interesting thing about this, about God's spirituality, is that, remember I said he doesn't have a body. And, and where can we go to Scripture to kind of uh, reinforce this? Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. Does anyone know what Exodus 20 is about? The Ten Commandments, right? And what do we see there in the Second Commandment? What does he say? Anyone know the Second Commandment? That's the first. And so the second, ready? You shall not make for yourself an idol, and here's the key part, or of any likeness of that which is in heaven above, so the sun, the moon, the stars, or on the earth, or beneath it in the water or under the earth. And so no animals, no sea creatures. God is is not um, a creation. And, And so he forbids his people to think of his very being as such because we know he has no body, he is spirit. Uh, any questions or comments here about God's spirituality? All right. So really important to understand that God is spirit. But kind of going hand in hand here um, with that is his invisibility. Now, this is kind of interesting. Um, maybe you think about it like, what, God's invisible? Yes, he is. I, I know there's many scriptures that point to this. Um, you know, he's in unapproachable light, right? He, he is... Uh, if you see him, uh, you will die, right? We're going to see that in a little bit. But let me just give you a definition here. God's invisibility means that God's total essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us, yet God still shows himself uh, to us through visible created things. So we do see some manifestations. Um, remember with the pillar of the cloud by day and the fire by night, um, in visions. What about with Jacob and Abraham? We have uh, theophanies, all these different things, but... In Scripture, and I want you to look at this. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is really important to understand. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained to Him, right? Talking about Jesus there. No one has seen God. And so maybe you've heard... Some people with dreams and visions. I've seen God. No, no, no. Uh, No one can see God. Um, God is invisible. We see that uh, in other scriptures. uh, In 1 Timothy 1.17, 1 John 4.12. There's there's plenty that uh, describe that you cannot see God. um, And and only we have seen Jesus who has revealed uh, the Father. But no one has actually seen God with their, their eyes. Now, an interesting point that we might say, I like to say the hold up verses. Hold up, what's going on here? Uh, what about Exodus 33, 11? What do we see there? We see that Moses is talking to God face to face. And so you're like, whoa, 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 Kevin, I thought you said no one has seen God. Now, if you keep reading there in Exodus 33, what happens there? Does anyone remember the story with God and the cliff of the rock? What does God do there? passes uh-huh and and he says i'll show you my back but no one may see my face and live right and so we got a lot of expressions here uh face to face it really is just talking about nearness uh, a presence right um you know god's presence is made manifest uh, more vividly here in this moment and and so he does appear in a sense um but it's not like the way we think uh where it's you really can see uh, with your eyes, uh, this physical being. It's like I said, this is, we're, we're talking about God Almighty who is spirit, right? And so it, they go hand in hand here. Now, 
maybe someone says another holdup verse in Matthew uh, 5, 8. Um, you know, blessed are, are those who will uh, see God, right? Those that um, shall inherit the earth, uh, those that are peacemakers. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have a scripture that says that um, those are pure in heart shall see God face to face. And so maybe you're like, wait, there, again, we see that there's going to be some type of face to face. Yes, there is a face to face. It's this nearness, you're dwelling. But we understand that he is invisible. He is spirit. Um, and I think that is really important for us to get. All right, any questions here um, about this, that God is spirit or God is invisible? All right, so this is, uh, I think, really important for us to understand because many times uh, we see this in certain uh, religions, even the Catholic Church. They make a Jesus statue, right? Uh, they make an image, and they say, this is God. But no, God has forbid that um, action. He's called that idolatry. He doesn't want us to uh, make him into like a golden calf where we saw that in the book of Exodus where they were attributing uh, the golden calf for all their prosperity. And But no, obviously God is not a cow. Um, and so we, we need to be careful with this uh, to remember that no one can see God. Um, all right. Move on to uh, the mental attributes. And this one here is knowledge or omniscience, right? Uh, all knowledge, all knowing. God fully knows himself in all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Now, this is really important for us to understand because we know that God is, is perfect in knowledge. He knows everything. He knows the future in every detail. He knows your actions and thoughts, right? There's no hiding and, and, and saying, well, no one's going to ever find this out, right? Because we know God uh, knows everything. He knows what you're doing when no one's watching. He knows uh, what you're thinking when no one is obviously hearing your thoughts. And so uh, it, it is uh, convicting, and it should help us to uh, obey and listen to God. Now, here's another interesting point, and you can go to Matthew eleven twenty three. Matthew eleven twenty three. God knows all the possibilities. You, have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder if I just did this when I was in college, or I wonder if I didn't do that, how would my life would have been? You know, you, you start thinking like that a little bit. What If only this didn't happen. Well, guess what? God knows all the possibilities. And so this is interesting. Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, talking about some cities that are not repenting during the ministry of Christ. In verse 23, he says, and you, Capernaum, he did many miracles in Capernaum. It was like his miracle central. Will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. And here it is. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, you guys know how sinful Sodom and Gomorrah was, right? If they occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. He wouldn't have brought judgment on them. They would have repented, right? Think of Jonah and the Ninevites. God knows all possibilities. And so that's amazing to think that he is fully aware of everything. Um, and, and I like this. Uh, this is a quote here from Wayne Grudem. If God should desire to tell us the number of grains of sand on the seashore or the number of the stars in the sky, he would not have to count them all quickly like some kind of giant computer, right? God's not AI. Uh, nor would he have to call the number to mind because it was something he, he didn't think about uh, for a while. So it's not like, hey God, um, how many stars are in the sky? Oh yeah, oh yeah, stars in the sky. No, 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 no. 
He always knows all things at once, right? He doesn't have to ponder carefully before he answers. It's automatic. And, and, and that's just amazing to know that God's all-knowing. All right, any questions about God's all-knowing, omniscience? It's, it's very, uh, very humbling, right? Because we sometimes think we know it all. Oh, I, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. No, I can handle this, but guess what? No, God is in control. God knows all things. He knows all the future, all the possibilities. All right, moving right along then. Wisdom. Uh, wisdom. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. So we see throughout Scripture, He is the only wise God. He's created wisely, He redeemed wisely, and He works wisely. Uh, and so in the trial, uh, whenever you are going through a lot, we have this famous verse, right, in Romans 8. He works all things for the good of those who love God according to his purposes. And so we need to remember that God is doing something, right? He's conforming us to the image of Christ. He is doing good things. Um, and even in the trials and when things for us look out of whack or out of control, we know that God is working wisely through it all for our good. And you can think of Paul during... Uh, the thorn of his flesh. He's saying, Lord, take this away from me. But God says, no, my grace is sufficient. And Paul prayed three times for that. And yet God said, no, I'm, uh, my grace is sufficient. He's working through that. And so uh, really important for us to understand God's wisdom um, because many times we, we think we're wise or we think, uh, man, I, I would have done it like this. No, no, no. God is doing uh, the best thing possible at all times. And so we, we have to appreciate what he's doing even when it's a tough trial. All right, what about truthfulness? Like I said, we got a lot of attributes here, and there's plenty of verses there on your handout. Feel free to go home and kind of review all those verses. But truthfulness, I love this attribute about God, right? His faithfulness. He is the true God, and that all his knowledge and words are both true, and he is the final standard of truth, right? And so we know that God is true. God is uh, perfect in knowledge. Again, he is always telling the truth, and he doesn't lie. Why don't you go to Titus, Titus chapter 1. So the book to the left of Hebrews, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. God is true. God doesn't lie. Titus 1, 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, and here it is, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. There's one thing God can't do, right? He can't lie. Um, and that is a good thing, that he doesn't lie and he never will lie. And he can't lie. Uh, kind of similar to that, if you go to the couple books to your right in Hebrews, uh, chapter 6, verse 18, it says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have been taking refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. It is impossible for God to lie. So God doesn't lie. He is truth. He is full of truth. But what about us? Of course, God being true, being faithful, He doesn't want us to lie. And we see that in Colossians 3, 9 to 10, Ephesians 4, 25. Put away all falsehood. And so when we're thinking about these attributes, um, beloved, we, we also want to say, okay, what about us, right? It's good to examine ourselves. Now, obviously, we're not God. We're not going to be uh, true all the time. Um, we're not going to be, you know, uh, we're talking about 
you know, his goodness, his wisdom, completely wise, all these different things. Yet God is conforming us into the image of Christ, and we should strive to be uh, faithful at all times. We should strive to tell the truth at all times. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we uh, acting like Christians? Are we being little Christ on earth? Are we um, proclaiming the gospel in truth? And so we got to ask ourselves, how are, how, how are we doing in these areas? You know, because these are communicable attributes, right? Uh, we share uh, in a certain sense here with God these things. And so we could tell the truth. We could be faithful. With your spouse, obviously, you want to be faithful there. And, and so talking about truthfulness, if we think the same thing God thinks about anything in the universe, we're thinking truthfully about it. And maybe you're wondering, I wonder if this is a true statement. Well, if God said it, it's true. Uh, so if you align your thoughts with what God has said in his word, then yes, you are telling the truth. You are thinking truthfully about it. And another uh, aspect of truthfulness, God always does what he promises to do. And we could depend on him never to be unfaithful in his promises. And so if you look at throughout the prophecies in the Old Testament, all the times God said he's going to do something and he brings it to pass, right? Obviously, the promised Messiah would be the best example here. And, of course, Christ came about 2,000 years ago. And so uh, God always will fulfill his promises. What about the coming judgment when Christ returns? Yes, he is going to fulfill that promise. All right, so I got a couple of discussion questions, unless anyone has a comment here on truthfulness or faithfulness. Um, a couple of questions here. I want you to think about, let me know what you... You think here, so why is God so strongly displeased at carved idols? We kind of went over it a little bit, but why would you say um, that Jesus' statue, you know, is, is something he's displeased with? Why doesn't he like it? Yeah. Say it It's a created image. Yeah, yeah. Uh, God uh, it says it there in the second commandment. Thou should not make for yourself a carved image. And so it's not God. That's the thing. The carved idol doesn't represent God because God is not made out of matter. Remember, God is spirit. He's invisible. And so to put a visible representation of God, whoa, 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 hold up. You know, and, and obviously we know God is a jealous God and he, he hates uh, a false... Uh, representation of himself second question here with regard to the circumstances of your life will god ever make a mistake or fail to plan ahead does god ever <laughs> get caught by surprise about anything no he is always uh speaking the truth and he's always aware of what is going on because he has planned it he's decreed it and so he's completely in control and, and last one here, uh, there are so many people in society, and, and sometimes even us, beloved, uh, we can be quite careless with regard to truthfulness and speech. Why is it that, let's be honest, we, we struggle with this? Why, why would you say we struggle with this area in, in our society of truthfulness or following up with what we say we're going to do, faithfulness? What would you think the root cause is there? Yeah, sin. Um, more specifically, what do you think? What is going on in our hearts when we're hiding and not telling the truth? 
Yeah, yeah, pride. I would say pride is probably the number one answer there. Um, we try to look good in front of people. You know, we try to... We try to pretend like we got it all figured out. But we don't. We know that we are weak. We know that we are in need. We're sinners. Um, and so rather than trying to hide and, and lie, you know, those little white lies, we should tell the truth and just be straight with people. And, and so definitely strive to uh, be true as God is true with us. All right, moving right along here to the moral attributes. And there's about eight here. And the first one here, and probably my favorite, um, God is the final standard of good and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval. So talking about God's goodness, we have plenty of verses that teach this. Uh, Psalm 100, Psalm 100, verse 5, we see there uh, that God is good, worthy of our praise. Let me just read it for you here. Psalm 100, verse 5. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness, there you go, talking about faithfulness, to all generations. God is good. God is good all the time. We see in Genesis 1.31, he's created all things good, right? He saw everything and said it was very good. Another uh, aspect of this is that God, uh, we know that all things Good come from God, right? He is the giver of good things. We read about that in uh, James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And, and so I think this is important for us to remember uh, that God is the standard of good. And, and so when we're thinking about it, uh, meditating on it, uh, you know, what is good? What is good? Everything that God has said, everything that God um, has done, it's, it's always been good. Uh, even you think about the flood, you're like, oh, how was that good? Well, God had a purpose with it. And, and God, in his wrath, um, it did a good thing. And so we'll get to that in a little bit. But all of these attributes really just overlap. They overlap. We're going to see a couple of um, ways that that happens. And so just remember that good comes from God. All right. Love. Now this one, obviously, very important. Everyone loves to talk about it. And it's good for us to meditate on. God eternally gives of himself to others. So you see there, the key there uh, in defining God's love, this attribute is it's a giving um, that we see God is doing in love. You know, that is really what love is about. It's about giving of yourself. And God does that. And we'll see that in a second here. 1 John 4, 8, uh, there's a verse there that says it. God is love, all right? Now, it's interesting. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, uh, that we don't, uh, God doesn't need us. Um, he, had, he was perfect in his being. He, you know, even before uh, creation, there was perfect unity and community there with the three persons of the Trinity. And so we see in Scripture that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And so, in a sense, the love has always existed through God, right? Because uh, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and God the Father have always loved one another. Some more verses here. 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. We see here what real love is all about. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. 
right? God has, has loved us that he sent his son to die for us uh, as our substitute. Um, Romans 5.8 also talks about that, where though we were enemies, yet we were sinners, uh, God uh, sent his son uh, to uh, forgive us, to basically die for us, and, and he showed his love in that way as well. John 3.16, of course, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And then in Galatians 2.20, um, there's Paul just talking about he's, he's all for Christ. Um, he, he's no longer I that live, but right, Christ that lives in me. And, and what does he say about Christ? That he loved him and gave himself up for us. And so uh, we see love throughout Scripture, um, and, and God has truly loved us. Uh, and, and there's no comparison to that. Maybe you have a mother or father or or a loved one, a son, that he said, man, they love me so much. Okay, yeah, but God loves you way more. Um, he sent his son to die for you. All right, we're talking about love, but again, with these attributes, we've got to examine ourselves. Do we love one another? Remember what Christ said, this command I give you, uh, that you should love one another as I have loved you? And so it's very important for us to really think about this attribute and say, okay, God loves me. He gave himself up for me. Do I love others? Am I giving to others? Am I caring for others? All right, any questions or comments about this attribute of love? Yep. I have a question about going back. Yes, yes. Ah, very good, very good. Okay, so this is my personal conviction. You know, I'm not trying to just say, you got to follow me, this is the law here. No, no. Um, and other brothers have said this too, like Buddy Bachman and different guys. Yeah, uh, one of the reasons why I didn't watch certain shows or, or movies is I don't like that it depicts a supposed Jesus, right? Um, maybe that was one of the main reasons I wasn't a big fan of The Passion of the Christ. But listen, I'm not saying you can't. Um, but... I do think uh, it's, it's a liberty issue here. Um, I don't think it's best for us to try to portray, you know, how Jesus looked. And, and So it, it gets a little dicey there with that. Uh, but I think what we were talking about more with the carved image uh, is, is basically a false uh, representation of the God the Father, um, where, he, you know, God the Father, spirit, invisible. And so to even, like, put like a carved image about it uh, would be, I would say, completely off anyways. Um, but once we get into Jesus, I think it gets a little more, you know, liberty issue dicey. But that's, that's a good, good thought. Um, yeah, we don't ever want to say this is God. Uh, because like I said before, no one has seen God. And it's, I, I don't believe God is pleased uh, with doing that. But good question. Anyone else on love, though? Anything on love? I know this is an attribute that we always talk about. Everyone here feel God's love? You know, like, understand that God loves you. Not just feel, but, you know, understand, know that God loves you. I think your whole Christian life is going to change once you understand that. Um, maybe you've come into Christianity or you've, you've uh, grew up in the church, whatever it is, and you always hear that. You always hear it, God loves you, but you don't ever see it in Scripture and actually really dwell on it, understand it, meditate on it. And it's a really, it's a, a game changer, all right? Um, it will transform your life when you understand God's love for you. 
Um, and you're really just going to want to love on others. Uh, but all right. Okay, sure. Yeah, very good. I like that. Um, so, yes, some people, when they hear love, it's like they, they make a carved image. They make an, a false idol here. Uh, love is all about acceptance, tolerance. Uh, love is whatever makes you happy. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not, that's not God's way of love. Obviously, God um, has discipline. He's called us to holiness. Um, and remember, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. Uh, he is pleased when we obey. Um, and so I would say uh, he loves us perfectly, unconditionally through Christ and his sacrifice and what he's done. Um, but that doesn't mean we get a free pass. And, and, and oh, God still loves me and I, and I can act whichever way I want to. Well, yes, God loves you through Christ because of the sacrifice. And, but um, he doesn't love what you're doing, right? He doesn't approve of what you're doing. And, and so, we, yeah, we need to be careful how we define love um, ultimately. Uh, again, we're saying God is love, and so uh, what, is, what is love really is um, a self-giving. It's um, choosing to uh, do what's right. It's, it's choosing to give of yourself and, and care for the other person. Um, but yeah, we need, a, we need the right definition of love, so thank you. That's a good one. All right, let's keep going here. Mercy. Now, here we have a little bit of overlap of mercy, grace, and patience. And we see, we just talked about goodness. We see here in the definitions... Uh, all kind of similar here. So God's mercy means God's goodness toward those in misery and distress. And so you see this throughout Scripture in 2 Samuel 24. David is in misery or distress, and he's praying, and he's asking the Lord to show him mercy, right? And God, that really is a great picture of mercy. Here you are just in pain and agony. You know, I was just reading about... Uh, uh, it, the people of Israel and during uh, Pharaoh with his, you know, rush, uh, terrible treatment, uh, cruel treatment of, of the people there with uh, slavery and, you know, working without having to collect the straw, all these different things. And they're going through a lot and they're crying out to God, right? And they're in distress. Uh, so when you think of God's mercy, think about it when it really is a, a tough time. And, and, and so God is showing goodness to you in those times. And then God's grace, uh, it's talking about God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Uh, think about Paul, right? A God showed him grace. He persecuted the church. He should have got punished, but yet God showed him grace. Right? He opened his eyes. He, he, he gave him a new heart. And then God's patience, it means God's goodness in withholding of punishment throughout those who sin over a period of time. And so Paul, he even says it, right? He was the last apostle. Um, Paul was, was saying God was patient with me, right? He's an example of, of God's patience because um, he could have easily just took him out, but instead he is patient with them. I, I just want you to see that there. 1 Timothy 1.16 says, Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who wouldn't believe in him for eternal life. What is he saying when he says foremost? Uh, he says here before, uh, to save sinners 
among whom I'm the foremost of all, right? He's saying he's the worst of sinners because he persecuted the church. And yet God showed him mercy. He was patient with him. Um, so then we see that that's how he's going to be with a lot of other believers. And beloved, if you can see yourself in that way too, he was patient with you and all those, uh, whether it be childhood sins or, or, you know, throughout your adult life, all these sins you've committed, God was patient with you. Um, and then, of course, uh, when you repented and trusted in him, you know, was, you, you understood that mercy that he had with you there. All right, any questions or comments here with mercy? Yes, God's mercy and grace and patience is beautiful. All right, holiness. Now this one, uh, yes, goodness was one of my favorites, but holiness is, is so important to understand. Um, God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. And so holiness, we see some examples throughout Scripture with the tabernacle, right? Uh, the holies of holies, there's this sacredness about it. Um, and then we have Aaron and his sons, right? They were consecrated, they were to be priests. Uh, and so holiness really is um, to be separated from sin. To, uh, to, it, it's something about being sacred uh, or consecrated. And, and we see that God throughout Scripture, he's called the Holy One of Israel. He is, Isaiah says, Holy, 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 right? And so just a, a question for us again is, are we being holy? Um, are we separating ourselves from sin? Now, in the Old Testament, we saw a lot of, uh, of the laws that uh, the, Israel, the Israelites had to follow, right? Uh, one of them was circumcision. Um, and, and Moses got in big trouble because he didn't circumcise his son, and, and God was about to kill him. And, and so we see uh, just this holiness tied with our obedience. God has said something for us to do, and are we doing it? Um, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, uh, verse 10, talking about holiness here, says, For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that, why, why? We may share his holiness, right? God is disciplining us because he wants us to, um, be holy. Uh, it, you see, God, <laughs> what, what is it? Uh, it's not that God wants you happy. God wants you holy, right? Um, so many times we focus on, I just want to feel good. You know, I want everything uh, that I want. Please, God. And, and we pray so wrong. Rather, we should be praying, God, help me to be holy. You call me to be holy as you are holy. Um, and that is, that's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, to be separated from certain sins, it, it, it's definitely uh, difficult. So, uh, throughout Ephesians, uh, I won't quote all the verses there, but what is Christ doing? Right? He's washing us with the water of the word, and, and, and so he's sanctifying us, he's cleansing us, so that we will be holy and blameless in his sight. And, and so this is uh, one of the main uh, points of being part of the church, is to be holy um, as God is holy. Um, and there's nothing better. Uh, and, and maybe if you keep going back uh, about... You know, the whole God doesn't want you to happy, but he wants you holy. And, and let's be honest, when you are being holy, you're going to be happy. So uh, really important there uh, to understand God's holiness. Any, any comments here on God's holiness uh, or questions here? Really important for us to understand that God is holy, right? He is without sin, perfect. And obviously we're not going to be perfectly holy, uh, but yet we strive to be holy. All right. Peace or order. 
In God's being and in his actions, he is separate from all confusion and disorder, right? He is continually active in innumerable, well-ordered, fully controlled, simultaneous actions. And so, I think many times we think of peace, we think about everything, um, everyone getting along, um, and, and that's okay to think of that, but sometimes we don't think about the order, the, the peace and the structure that God has given us. Um, we see in 1 Corinthians that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order, right? Uh, and that's talking about the spiritual gifts. And so even in church, uh, we have uh, order, right? You have uh, the elders, you have uh, the deacons, you have people with different spiritual gifts using them, gifts of generosity, whatever it may be. And, and there's order about it, and God is pleased with that. God wants there to be order, not this chaos, but rather this peace. We see throughout Scripture that God uh, is the God of peace, right? Uh, you could read about that in Hebrews 13, 20. And so yet again, we, we ask, okay, what about us? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, right? Are we walking by the Spirit? Are we people of peace? Do we, uh, are we peacemakers? So when we, as God's people, walk in His ways, we come to know more and more fully by experience that the kingdom of God is indeed righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? That's Romans 14, 17. Um, really important for us to kind of think about this. Maybe, maybe there is a lot of strife in certain churches. There's a lot of disunity, right? Maybe we have a budget meeting coming up. Uh, may we really strive to be at peace, right? There's nothing wrong with questions, suggestions, all these things. Uh, but there should be this loving way we go about it, this peaceful way we go about it. We're not here to fight. We're here to uh, edify one another, build each other up. Um, and we do that in an orderly fashion. Uh, and we know God is also um, peaceful and orderly. All right. Uh, no questions or comments here. Uh, moving right along. We got righteousness. We're almost done here. I know plenty of attributes I'm throwing at you. We only got three more, uh, but it's good. It's good to think of all these. So righteousness or justice, God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. So really important for us to understand that God must punish sin, right? We see that in Romans 3, 25 to 26, that if it wasn't for Jesus dying for our sins, right, uh, God would be unjust if he let us go. But no, because he is the just and the uh, justifier of those who have faith in Jesus, because Jesus went to the cross, he did punish sin. He punished will be just. He is just because he punishes sin. And obviously when we think about the second coming, um, he is going to uh, take it out on all those people that were in great rebellion and, and they're going to get what they deserve there. Um, and so God must punish sin. Really important for us to think about. Another thing, God is the final standard, right? He doesn't need to explain himself. Why are you doing this, God? Right? Think about Job. Uh, why am I going through all this? Uh, God doesn't even answer him, uh, his question, but he sh reveals himself, right? He, he says, where were you when I founded the universe, right? Uh, and so we should really be humble and say, whoa, 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 who are we? And this is what Paul gets to when it comes to election um, and 
understanding that he is uh, the potter and we're the clay, right? If, <laughs> if we're clay, right, how can we talk back to our potter or, or our creator and say, why'd you create me like this? And, and then Paul's ending there saying, if you want to create some for honorable use and one for dishonorable use, he is the potter. And so God is the final standard. He doesn't need to explain himself. And we see that he always does what's right. He always is just. Think about Genesis 18, verse 25, even with Sodom and Gomorrah. God, God did what was right there. Um, any questions or comments? I know justice is something maybe we can talk a little bit about more. Because um, we all want justice. Maybe, maybe when it's uh, to our, um, talking about our sins, maybe we want mercy there. Um, but when we see something unjust, right, we should want justice. And imagine God didn't care about those things. Uh-huh. Yes, in, uh, in uh, Romans 9, 15. Yep. So let me just read it just so you got it. So Romans 9, uh, 15 here, or uh, my bad, probably 21 says, does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for, my bad, common use? Yeah, common use. Was that your question, if it was honorable or common use? 21, yeah, it's common use there. Yeah, I probably misspoke there. Uh, some, some, I think, in the Greek, in the literal, is dishonor, but what's your question about it? Yeah, you have a question about it or? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it really just goes back to um, God's common grace and God's special grace, right? God has loved us. Um, he loves His people in a certain way. Uh, in compared to loving His creation, obviously He cares about His creation. Uh, he loves His creation, um, even unbelievers. Yet believers, He has a special love for them because it's His bride, right? He chose them before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. In his sight, and so yeah, uh, God created uh, some people um, to dwell forever, obviously, and then other people are going to go in their sinful way, and He doesn't uh, show them the same favor that He showed um, His people. Um, and that goes back to the question: Hey, like, why are you doing that, God? But God is saying, <laughs> well, Paul is saying about God, He's the Potter; He can do whatever He wants. And if you read Psalm one fifteen. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And remember, we go back to the other attributes. Everything he does is good. Everything he does is just. To be honest, if he wanted to, we all could have went uh, and been created for common use or dishonorable use and, and, and gone to hell. But God, in his perfect will and his perfect plan, and we'll get into that next week, um, he uh, did what is best. He did what is right. Um, and so we could always trust him there. All right. Running out of time here. Let me just give you the last two attributes. Jealousy. God continually seeks to protect his own honor, and it is not wrong for God to seek his own honor, for he deserves it fully. We see that, um, that God is a jealous God, right? And, and maybe you're thinking, jealousy? I thought that was a bad thing. Well, it depends. There's righteous jealousy in the sense of, you know, obviously if you have a spouse, you love your spouse, you want what's best for them, and, and you care about your spouse so much. And so if you go into the book of James, you read about how they are being uh, spiritual adulteresses, 
right? They are being people that are um, loving the world and being friends of the world, and they're not putting God first. And obviously, you should put God first. He's your creator. And so it just goes back to him being the creator, us being the creatures, and he's given us life, he's given us all things, and he is who he is, and so we ought to um, worship him. We ought to obey him. Uh, and, yes, and so, yes, he has this jealousy uh, for his own honor. And lastly, wrath. Um, and like I said, these are not in any specific order, guys. So just because wrath is last, we don't be like, oh, we don't really want to talk about wrath. No, wrath is a good thing that God um, does. For example, God intensely hates all sin. Um, and I asked this already, but what would God be like if he were a God that did not hate sin, right? He would be unjust. Um, if you hear about all these things that are going on around the world right now in the news, of course God doesn't like those things. Um, he hates when sin occurs. Yet God is patient in his execution of his wrath for the purpose of leading people to repentance. And so there are plenty of verses there. You guys can check them out later. Um, but let's just end with some application or some questions here. So how often do you have an attitude of thankfulness to God for all the gifts you have? Very important. Remember, God is good, his goodness. Well, do we have an attitude of thankfulness? Number two, are we loving others based on our feelings for them or how we choose to act? Remember, love is not about a feeling. It's about an action, and we ought to choose to be giving of ourselves. Number three, what do we need to cut out of our lives to pursue holiness before our Lord? Remember, our Lord is holy, holy, holy. We should strive for holiness, and so there are certain things we're going to have to cut out of our lives. And so start thinking about that this week. What are some things that need to cut out? Maybe it's a toxic friendship. I don't know. Number four, should we love the fact that God is a God of wrath who hates sin? Yeah, we should. God, if God didn't hate sin, we would be in big trouble. Um, all right. Uh, just reviewing here for next week. So just six things here, or five. God is an invisible spirit, right? God is spirit. God is invisible. He is perfect in wisdom and knowledge. He is the truth. He is right in all that he does. We can obey the God of love and wrath. And do we follow the example of this uh, great God of goodness and holiness? And so really throughout this week, I just want you to think about these things. Like I said, look at these verses um, next week, we're going to talk about, again, the communicable attributes of God. But part two, how is God like us in the attributes of will and in the attributes uh, that summarize his excellence?